Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, you are listening to a Rad Legend Broadcasting premiere podcast, Damn You Hollywood, and here's your host, Robert Winfrey, yay! Yay. It's us here to talk about, well... The end of the Marvel Cinematic Universe as we know it. And I feel fine. I mean, to be fair, the Marvel Cinematic Universe ended as we knew it at the end of Endgame, which was kind of the point. <laughs> in the title, now that's is, a hint. That. <laughs> Tonight, ladies and gentlemen, there's not... We're gonna... There's not really a kind way to say this. We're gonna talk about the Eternals. And probably set it on fire. <laughs> uh... So we'll be discussing the ins and outs and all of that about Mar about uh, Marvel's sad, sad attempt at adapting this particular IP in this particular format. Mistakes were made. But joining <laughs> us on the discussion, in addition to my trusty Ed McMahon, my trusty, I don't know, who else filled that role in late night talk shows? The only one I remember off the top of my head is Jeff the Robot from... Didn't, um, what do you call it, uh... Didn't Jay Leno have a guy? Maybe the, yeah. the Paul Schaefer, maybe? Was the leader of the band? And a bad mother in his own right? Sure. Anyway, Mark Radlich, my usual partner in crime. Joining us on this particular episode, we also have Alexis Haina from Honeysuckle Rose Creations. Can we get this over and done with? That's what she said. That is what she said. <laughs> that works on two levels. It works on half a level, is how that works, Mark. When you're that literal, you don't even get full credit. Oh. And from the and from our Canadian contingent, David Wright. Hi, everybody. Representing Alpha Flight lovers everywhere. Hi, Chris Bailey. All right. So, do we want to do the gag just off the top and get it over with, or not? No, no, no. Let's let's get on with this. Oh, so, right. so keeping in the theme, shouldn't he technically be the Karun to your Kingo? I don't know what any of those things are. It sounds like a disease you get in an alley with a hooker. No, it's well, a very, it's a very specific reference to this movie. Yeah, I was oh. gonna say, considering Martha, you enjoyed this movie. I thought you Allegedly. would get the joke. I don't remember character names. I don't pay that close <laughs> attention. It's taken by so many vistas. Uh, no, let's uh, let we're gonna just go right past the preamble discussion of this thing and jump right into the plot synopsis because yeah. there. Here's the thing. There's a lot to talk about with this movie. Not all of us are going to agree on it, so there's going to be a bit of a back-and-forth discussion. Alexis and I kind of had a rough draft version of this Sunday night when we recorded with the MCU's Bleeding, uh, Bleeding Edge, hosted by Jeff Slobodum. Um, With that being said, there's also a lot to talk about, digest, dig through in terms of the money, not the money specifically, but sort of the editorial um, propaganda <laughs> that's been coming out of variety in a few other places. So, I mean, it's one of those deals where there's so much about the film I, that isn't about the film we have to go into. I, I don't, don't want to. I don't want to get into like, well, wh when did you read your first Eternals? Nobody cares. Nobody did. That's really true. No, this is not an IP that has a tremendous amount of publication. Like, it doesn't move a lot of merchandise. For the record, I am from now on referring to Variety as the PR wing of the Disney Empire. <laughs> I, I got to dig. I want to see if they actually do own variety through like a series of uh, of shell companies. By the way, Mark, I'm agreeing with Chuck here. Where did you find that picture you used on Facebook for our Eternals post? It really does look like a bootleg T-shirt. Um, I don't know. I did a I did a Google search, and that's what I came up with. 
Because none of the characters have the right hairstyles or wearing the right colors. This was clearly a fan-made project. You think so? Oh, in that case, I need to find a different picture. Icarus on, is wearing red, and Angelina Jolie has brown hair in this. I don't pay attention to details. Your podcast boss, you need to pay a little <laughs> more attention to these kind of things, okay? We're our social media image is kind of all we have. All right. Lord I knows find... we can't rely on the talent on this network. I will find a better picture. Robert will then get get into the plot synopsis. Go. As Mark does that. All right. So millions of years ago, in the beginning, there was nothing. And then bang, six singularities. But before even that. <laughs> Or when the Earth was created, this has made a lot of people unhappy and has widely been considered a bad move. This is... There was a man named Jack Kirby, and he was roundly and soundly ripped off by Stan Lee. And he became upset with this. He moved to D.C., where he created the New Gods, a popular spinoff franchise. He came back to Marvel and ripped himself off and created the Eternals. The end. <laughs> Sorry, that's too much behind-the-scenes stuff. So, No, but the, that works for this show. <laughs> It really does. Um, back before create, back before the six singularities that would spawn the Infinity Stones, there existed only the Celestials, who were responsible for the creation of all things. They said, "Let there be light," and they they have servants. This group of uh, a category of people called the Eternals who do their bidding. We're introduced to a series of the Eternals. Specifically, Ajax, Cersei, Icarus, Kingo, Sprite, Fastus, Makari, Drew, Gilgamesh, Thena, and a partridge in a pear tree. <laughs> they are sent to Earth back in the year 5000 BC, give or take, to protect the budding humanity from the Deviants, this group of bizarre creatures that only the Eternals can fight. The Eternals then spend a great deal of time doing so, uh, they also kind of usher civilization along, making a bit of a... These people are worse at following the Prime Directive than the crew of the Starship Enterprise is. Like they, <laughs> you, no, don't interfere in humanity's uh, development and their conflicts, but then in the same time, here, I will create the plow for you instead of the steam engine back in the year, you know, 5000 BC, give or take. Um... The Eternals kill off, allegedly, the last of the Deviants in the 1500s. Right about the same time, they're all becoming horribly disenfranchised or disillusioned with the violence inherent in the human condition. And uh, also getting sick and tired of listening to the Celestials, you know, order of not to interfere. Because they're like, uh, these people are being idiots and we can fix this if we let us. Yes, because nothing quite uh, should go. Nothing quite goes that way, like you know, mind control tyranny. And bear in mind, also, by the way, you you sanctimonious jackasses, the Eternals, not you people. Oh no, this isn't war. This is a genocide. You presided over Babylon. You know what kind of messed up stuff went on there? You hypocrites. Uh, they all break up. They've killed all the deviants. They're just waiting to be turned to their home planet of Olympia, which the uh, Celestial will take them back to, and from thence to whatever else they're going to do after this. A lot of time passes. We arrive at the present day, where we meet uh, Cersei. This is all interspersed via flashbacks, so I'm going a bit more chronologically for that part, at least. We meet Cersei and Sprite. They're living together in, uh, London. in London. 
They're attacked by a deviant Homelander. I mean, Icarus shows up. Sorry, Homeland. <laughs> Sorry, Homelander's an interesting character. Icarus, not so much. Wait, what's the one in Jupiter's Landing? I keep doing that. Jupiter's, Jupiter's Ascending. No idea. Never seen that piece of crap. Jupiter's Legacy. You did. Jupiter's we spent three hours something. talking about it. Oh, oh, no, Jupiter's Legacy. Um, Metro Man. Metro Man? Nope. The Utopian. That's it. Yeah. So there we go. I got you. Here, I'll set you up again. So what happens in London? So the Utopian shows up and Josh Dumel's like, please, I need a job. <laughs> so there's a woman named Cersei living in yeah, London yeah. who is dating Jon Snow. Then her ex-boyfriend Rob stop. Stark shows up all to the music of Raman Jawadi. Would you please stop? I have jokes about that in a minute or two. <laughs> not our so, fault that everything is so written on the wall. It's it blatantly really, obvious. It's, it's really true. So, I mean, I'm sorry. Did any of us not make a freaking winter is coming joke when Icarus and Dane meet up for the first time in London? The It's like, it's too obvious. It's too freaking obvious not to make the joke. Yeah, I, I tend to imagine it was just the elder Stark looking at his bastard brother and going, you really turned down the crown so the cripple could have it and just disappointed everybody all over again? Really? But... Look, everyone still... Everyone crickets the ending of Game of Thrones. We all know. <laughs> I'm starting to wish I'd gotten alcohol before we started this show. Mark certainly did. <laughs> So Icarus shows up, they fight off this particular Deviant, but don't kill it, it escapes. They decide that if the Deviants have returned, we must get the rest of the team together. So they go find Ajax, the leader of the Eternals. She's living in South Dakota, but sadness, she's dead. Aw. Aw. Poor sexy Amazama Hayek. Would have been so much sadder if we actually got to know her at all. Well, right? I don't in any know part her. of this movie. Selma Hayek's very pretty, I don't need to know her. Arr. Why do you, why are you like this, Mark? Because he, because he and Comer have already made a handful of these jokes when they reviewed something else with her in it. I believe it was from Dust Till Dawn. Wouldn't surprise me. Oh, and the whole Mexico trilogy. She is in all of those. That's true. Well, no, two out of three. She's in two out of three. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. She's not even in. She's not. In, I, I I always forget El Mariachi. Yeah, El Mariachi anyway. did not have the budget for Salma Hayek. No, it didn't. Did. Or for an, a lot of things. Or That's Antonio a, Banderas for that. That matter. might have been shot on my yearly salary. But anyway, so Loki. <laughs> anyway, so they again they head to South Dakota. They find the body of Ajax. Sadness, but the little glowing orb in the center of Ajax that tries to make her a real girl, uh, exits her corpse and embeds itself in Cersei. Making her the anointing her as the new leader of the Eternals. From there, they head to uh, Australia sorry. to H meet hang up on, hang on, hang on. First, Cersei get first Cersei gets to talk with a resident celestial Arishem, who gives her a little bit of the backstory about the Deviants, what he created them to do, what the Eternals are, and what what's actually going on here. What's actually going on here is the Deviants exist to be sent to planets to wipe out dominant forms of life to to allow intelligent life to grow but he screwed up when he made them they could evolve they became stronger it was a problem so he created the eternals a race of fabricated beings they're basically the vision in that particular respect uh, alien robots they're synthetic beings for the record you're jumping ahead they meet a up with bit, kingo yeah. gilgamesh and thena before this although again who cares 
Uh, yeah, they do, don't they? All right, uh, whatever. Yeah, they meet up with a bunch of other Eternals, and then we get the exposition well, as to what they're really all about. And well, then we find out how there's so much more interesting characters, and we're sitting there going, why can't we spend time with these people? You're not wrong. So they they head to they head to Australia because they need to collect Gilgamesh and Thena. They do so without too much problem. Uh, from there, they head to... I believe from there, they head to India, where they meet up with Kingo, who has become a Bollywood actor. In his, um, sorry, very briefly. Gilgamesh and Thena live together in the Australian outback because Thena has begun to suffer from the... Oh, mad something. I think it was called Mad Worry. I, I something don't, like that. Something it's like a, that. It doesn't uh, help that, frankly, it, at least at least half the Eternals have different accents, and gr it's great that they were very that you were very inclusive in the casting for this, and I really did like that that we had so many a variety of so many different kinds of people playing these characters. But when you have that many different accents saying different saying the same thing different ways, it can get a little confusing over what the hell the correct pronunciation is. You are not lying. Oh, we also. Um, Kingo's cameraman and movie producer also tags along for comic relief. So he's there. Uh, yeah, Gilgamesh and Thena were living together because Thena's begun to suffering from this uh, disease that makes her unstable. She begins attacking people. It's the inability of her brain to process all of her memories. And the only way to fix it is to wipe her mind clean, which Ajak offers to do. They all decide no, because then Thena wouldn't be Thena. And Gilgamesh says, I can, I'm can. i the only one here strong enough to really kind of deal with her, so I'll take care of her. You guys don't worry about it. So they go collect her. Uh, they go collect Kingo. Then we get kind of the realization of what's actually going on here. Uh, the existence of intelligent life is largely, not entirely, but largely a product of birthing celestials. The celestials are these, again, giant beings that create stars and galaxies and all this fun stuff. They're responsible for the continue for the continuation of life in the universe, because without them, the ever-expanding universe would eventually reach what is a real phenomena, theoretically, the heat death of the universe. Enough celestials means they can keep expanding life and warmth out to prevent the death of all things. Kind of a good thing. But for a celestial to be born, part of their gestation process is being on, uh, they exist in the cores of planets, and the planets have to have enough intelligent life to sustain them through their gestation period. When they are, they burst forth. The planet is annihilated, and the celestial goes on to create more galaxies. We then get a crappy version of a moral quandary about this. But um, I left out the most repetitive part, but I'll get to that in a second. Uh, they decide that in order to try and stop this, at least temporarily, and save the people of, hu of Earth... They need the help of Droog. Isn't it so, Droog? Whatever. <laughs> Look, it, it's Droog because I wanted Malcolm McDowell to be here. Yeah, as soon as you said that, I started having Clockwork Orange. That you know, was, that <laughs> was deliberate ties, on my part. Ties Tiamat to a chair. You know, the whole deal. So they head to the Amazon jungle where they find Droog, viciously mind-controlling a group of the Amish, basically. Uh, they confront him with this. He's sad about Ajax because everyone's sad about Ajax. And then he, then they tell him the truth of their existence, and he has a freak attack because he's descended into mindless, into maddening tyranny, with the justification that 
our purpose is to create a place where humans can thrive and life can be great. And if we're, they're actually just food for the birth of the celestial, why have I been doing all of this? And doesn't this all just suck? And his faux crisis of conscience and, uh, manifests. The deviants attack. Gilgamesh is killed. But his essence is absorbed by our chief deviant. Bro. Total waste of Bill Skarsgård. Mm. Really was. Who has been absorbing the powers of deviants? That's how he, of the Eternals. That's how he kills them. They decide that if they're going to be, if they're going to try and do anything about this, they drew. They need Droog to uh, use his mind control powers to put the Celestial back to sleep, and then try to evacuate the Earth, and then let it be born. Because this is kind of a reasonable thing to do. So they decide to go try and find uh, to do Fastos. Who lost his faith in existence when humans nuked each other in World War II? Because, oh, woe is me. My technology led to this end. Why have I been brought so low? Get over yourself. Not low enough that he does decides to start a family. Uh, I have issues with I have issues with so much of this movie, but we'll get to it. So not, they find him in Chicago. We're never going to get to it if the way we're going. <laughs> they find... Already. They find him in Chicago, where he is happily raising a son with his gay partner, and they convince him to go along with this to try and save the world. There's still a bit of an argument of whether or not they should save it in the first place, but they want all the Eternals to be gathered so they can hold a quorum and make a decision. They travel to their ship, the Domo, where they find the speed, where they find the Flash. <laughs> The joke about this, about half of this group being the Flash, Wonder Woman, and Superman. <laughs> like, we just need a Batman and Aquaman. It doesn't uh, help that they actually said they modeled uh, Icarus and told Richard Madden to take his design and his influence from Zack Snyder's Man of Steel. It doesn't help that the son, that Fastest's kid looks at him and goes, hey, you're Superman. That too. Although, does anyone else feel it's a little weird now knowing that the DC Universe actually exists within the MCU? No, because it's going to grow. It's going to turn into a dick measuring contest between the two studios. That's all it is. So they they go to the ship. They find their speedster, who is also sad about the passing of Ajax and has a minor existential crisis about what they're going to do. Fastest creates a couple of theoretical uh, possibilities to fix this. Uh, one of which involves the the melding of all of the Eternals together into the Unimind, which can then do uh, amplify their powers. Right about then, it's revealed that Icarus actually is the one who killed Ajax. He believes in the mission of the Celestials. Ajax had a change of heart because living with people was just such a transformative experience that even though Ajax knew all along, she's the only person that has retained her memories of different planets. Oh, yeah, by the way, the same group of people has done this to countless planets over the millennia. And their minds are just their memories are simply are extracted and stored. Uh, at a giant solid-state drive, an external hard drive somewhere, <laughs> and they're just they just do this over and over and over and over again. Uh, even though and so even though Ajax has gone along with this countless times before, humans are just so gosh darn special. Uh, she had, we only saved half the life in the universe. Some people are just impossible to please. You know, can I just say, if you're going to have this big moral quandary about the existence of Celestials in the first place, 
Thanos did us all a favor by stopping all of them from being born for another how many thousands of years? Just saying. And he gets no I don't think they do it with every planet. I don't know. It hit that, every. That's they're the not problem, in though. A... Thanos don't get no respect. But look, we're they're all, not in every planet. We're almost at the end planet. of this. We're almost at the end of this. Go, go, go. The ending is easy. They have a crappy variation of Civil War. They all fight. The Celestial starts emerging with no greater consequence to the planet for a being of that size emerging from the core of the planet, you stupid writers. Cersei turns into Captain Marvel and turns it to marble. Icarus flies into the sun to commit suicide because, whoa, I have betrayed the only people that I love. Sprite, who literally stabbed Cersei in the back, is instead given her fondest wish and told, go, live, be free, grow old, and die. Uh, you missed the Pinocchio joke there. That would have been an ample time to do it. You want to do it again? No, I don't care. Cersei turns into a real boy. Go. No, Cersei doesn't. Sprite does. Erishem shows up. Whatever. Erishem shows up and yoinks the three remaining Eternals <laughs> on Earth into space. The others in, are... in what is easily the only cool moment in the whole freaking movie. You are not know. wrong. No, oh, when, I... when they do Galactus, it's going to be awesome. It really Hang is. on, when they get when they get yoinked at super speed off the planet, I was having Carrie Fisher out in space moments from the Last Jedi. That's because you're alien idiot. robots. Huh? I, I'm actually with David on this one because they, Galactus was trending on Twitter after this movie came out because everyone was pointing out, well, now at least we know that the MCU can do Galactus and we're not going to laugh. Yeah, that's fine. It, the, the look of them actually tra- like super speed coming off the planet and then, I'm sorry, it looked like Carrie Fisher floating in space frozen. Yeah, no. <laughs> to me it did. It looks stupid. So, point being, a bunch of them have, a bunch of them, have, oh, sorry, the, uh, the, Big Deviant dies in the final fight because, of course, he does. To- Again, uh, total waste of a fight scene. Also true. Um, a bunch of the a bunch of the Eternals head off with into space on the Domo, deciding, you know, maybe we can find others of our kind. And if we've had doubts about the plans of the Celestials to prevent the annihilation of all life in the universe, I mean, how dare they? Uh, maybe others will as well, and we can figure out what to do. So they head off. Erishim shows up, yoinks the three of them, the three remaining ones, which was Cersei, Kingo, and Fastos. Fastos was the other one. Yes, yoinks the three of them into space and says, "Well, you committed a serious crime, but I'm gonna decide. I will allow you the due process under the law because I am a just human. I am a just creation." And we're gonna put every, and we're gonna rip off the trial of Reed Richards for the sequel, <laughs> and that's where that ends. In our po- in our mid credit scene, the other Eternals are off on the Domo, and they haven't heard from everyone. And Arishem must have gotten them, but here comes a drunk Seth Rogen to intro Star Fox, Pippi, Slippy, Pat Oswald. Yeah, that was, I, I hate to say it. I thought at first it was Seth Rogen. I- Pat, I adore Pat Oswald. I listen to his stand-up all the time. That did not... Tell me I'm not the only one that didn't think that sounded like Pat Oswald. No, I got it. it was Pat Oswald immediately. I didn't get it. No. I, again, I thought Seth Rogen. I th- I did, too. Glad yeah, I was like, I reckon, it sounds familiar. I was initially thinking Ryan Reynolds, but I missed the boat there. So the theme okay. of this is we all saw okay. a different movie. Got it. So, um. so drunk comic troll shows up to introduce Star Fox, Pippi, Slippy, Peppy, Slippy, and Star Wolf. <laughs> Who have to? Who are now here because they have to save Corneria. Sorry, wrong Star Fox. They introduced one of the members from No Escape. I'm sure you are the only well, person who has ever made that joke. <laughs> I'm sure no one else on this planet. I thought he was having thought a stroke. About it. I swear to God. 
<laughs> All right. Have... So, so hey, hang on, hang on. So they introduce a character from one one of the characters from One Direction. He shows up as like, I'm the brother of Thanos. And everyone goes, wait, but you're an Eternal and we can't actually procreate. So how does that work unless you're being metaphorical? And he goes, shut up. Don't ask questions. This is the MCU. I can help you uh, speak to your... I know where your friends are being held because, again, we're going to rip off the trial of Reed Richards. In the actual post credit scene, Jon Snow swears allegiance to the Night's Watch. <laughs> and Blade shows up. All right, David, your thoughts on God and whether or not you'd really like to meet her. Go. Oh. Uh. Well, personally, I actually kind of liked the movie quite a Yay! bit. Yay! So you're not alone. 50-50. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's like this this has probably been the most I've enjoyed the MCU since uh, Far From Home. Okay. Yeah. I could actually establish some sort of stakes going forward. And uh, I, it, it's a slow movie. Like, let's not beat around the bush there. Like, about the point where they got to the Amazon, I was like, oh, man, this film would be driving kids crazy. <laughs> Let's, like, yeah, just for the record, the runtime on this is just less than that of No Time to Die, which took half of my lifetime. Like, I wouldn't at all be surprised to find out that the movie originally had a different title and just someone transcribed the runtime instead for, for the title. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Hang on. Yeah, Robert, it, I am so, so, so sorry I ever introduced him to the Pinkie Pie Every show. Clips. Go ahead, Dave. Alexis, I dealt with him when he did the when he had the entirety of his blog talk radio. Go ahead, Dave. Yeah. So Loki, <laughs> don't stop. Yeah. <laughs> okay, lost my place. There. Oh, yeah. So, so yeah. This this film, it's it's not for kids. It's a lot of talking, a lot of more character plot stuff. Thank you. Yeah, I but that to me kind of felt it kind of felt kind of refreshing to kind of go in a different direction. The problem with the Marvel formula is it's become too formulaic, so it's kind of nice for them to you know do something a bit different. I mean, yeah, it's not for everyone, and if you're used to the Marvel formula and you just want more of the Marvel formula, yeah, this 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 could be a bit of a a challenge in comparison. But again, like it, it felt new, fresh. I appreciated that they actually took a took a risk on doing this kind of a of a movie. You know, that being said, it also did kind of suffer from some of the, the Marvel formula. Like, right from the start, I'm like, okay, when are we going to find out the good guys are really the bad guys? <laughs> you know, like I thought, uh, what was it, uh, Ajax or, yeah, Ajax. It's like, you know, is she really dead? Or are we going to find out she faked her death as part of some evil plan to make the Deviants win or something like that? You know, because it's just been like, oh, look, Ego's really the villain. Oh, look, it was Agatha all along. Oh, look, the TVA is really bad. Oh, look, S.H.I.E.L.D. is really Hydra. Right. You know, like, it just, you know, it's it's still, like, the, the, the act of betrayal in Marvel movies has become so ubiquitous that I'm actually more surprised when there isn't a betrayal. Like, that, like, like they, would be, they would be subverting my expectations by not subverting expectations at this point. Uh, yeah, the whole super deviant character... Why? Like, what was the point of that character in the film at all? No point. Like, Absolutely. I, like, I think it existed to be a red herring for the marketing. Correct. Yeah, yeah, also, maybe. They also wanted to give badass Tomb Raider, kick-ass girl, Mr. and Mrs. Smith, Angelina Jolie, a badass Tomb Raider, kick-ass fight scene, Mr. and Mrs. Smith. Go, Dave. Yeah, like, I think they could have just had, like, normal fights with the Deviants until they figure out the whole celestial, <laughs> like, killing Earth issue but to have like a, a deviant that actually gains sentience and understands its place 
in the world, and then in the end, they just kill it. Not, uh, I, I was confused why he was fighting the Eternals, too. It's like, if he realized what the problem was, then wouldn't because, he also want to go up against the Celestials? No, his objection to the Eternals is, you've killed so many of my kind, I cannot tolerate your existence anymore. His objection to the Celestials is, you made me to do a job, and I did it, and you still hate me. Why don't you love me, Dad? Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's, he's only been sentient for about a minute before he makes all that decision. So hey, it took Ultron less time than that to decide to wipe out humanity with a chunk of the earth that it levitates into the Given air. Given the national conversation going on about this movie, I would have come to the same conclusion of both Crow and Ultron. Continue, Dave. Yeah. So so yeah, like I was kind of thinking like, well, are they going to do a thing where they realize like, hey, we're all being used by the Celestials and they're going to destroy the planet, which is bad for all of us. So maybe we is can like, though? you know, work together. <laughs> yes, we're living on it. You know? Are, are so they I, though? Like I thought that maybe it would be like, you it's know, like when Icarus Robert nihilism aside. It's not my nihilism. It's a literal thing that some of these characters have to try and contend with is the nature of their existence. And it, as a serious issue, bear in mind, this is explained horribly in the movie. There's a bunch of bad writing here. Oh, we've survived countless destruction of planets because we are one with the celestial as it emerges. And this is what allows Cersei to turn into Captain Marvel and do the impossible. This is stupid. You're synthetic beings. There's a million of you back in storage. I don't need that crap. You die when it explodes and your primary program is simply uploaded into a new unit. How hard is this? Okay, so this this is a film about engineering and uh, logistics, but... Yeah, so I was half thinking, the, like, like half since... The half the time it is. <laughs> so so the idea of, like, when Icarus does his heel turn, I thought, oh, well, maybe the Super Deviant will sort of take their place in the Unimind, allowing them to achieve their objective. But no, like, Angelina Jolie just kills it. I guess it cures her her disease. But, yeah, I kind of thought, like, they could really shave that whole subplot out and shorten the runtime, and nothing would have been lost. Nothing. Uh, yeah, and, like, no real... Like, I, I, I like the moral quandary at the end where it's like, you know, we need to birth celestial so we can keep life and the universe and everything going. But at the same time, it's yeah, killing everyone on the planet. And we kind of like these people and they don't want to die. If you only know, I, this movie had devoted a fraction of its enormous runtime to the actual moral quandary there, instead of having it be a single discussion where two of the characters do a heel turn and uh, Kingo pieces out. Yeah, so it did devote a faction of its runtime to that discussion. No, it, it, very, it gave you a scene where they didn't even talk about it. Yes, it, as it, a, a small part of a bigger part was devoted <laughs> right, to it, right. hence a fraction. I can be a pedantic ass too. You certainly right. can, Ollie. Move this the fuck along. Yeah, but yeah, I thought it was it was actually an interesting thing. It wasn't just, you know, this is bad, we must stop it. It was like, well, it's bad, but it's also good. And, you know, which side do you come down on? Like, I... You know, like Icarus has a point. Like he's not just, you know, I want to destroy the planet because reasons. It's no, like we have to do this to keep the universe going. And if we start making exceptions and everyone gets an exception and this doesn't happen anymore. So, yeah. And like, I, I thought it was good that the Eternals actually have a bit of a dynamic between each other. They do have different views and opinions on things. Like even Kingo going like, you know what? I don't agree with you guys. I'm going with Icarus, but you know, I, you, know, you believe what you believe. I'm not going to fight you. I'm just not going to help you. So, you know, I'm I'm gone. Whereas Icarus is more full on murder. And even like Icarus at the end where he, you know, he's in position to kill Cersei and stop her from killing 
the Tiamat or whatever mm-hmm. the Celestial's name was. And he just can't bring himself to do it because lovers. And after that, like he, he can't handle the guilt. So he kills himself by flying into the sun, ironically. Yeah, like there are consequences to the character's decisions. You know, like what they're doing actually matters. It's there's there's no magic get out of jail free card because the writer said so. Until so I appreciate that. Yeah. Icarus is going to show up in the sequel. Oh, uh, maybe, but it uh, won't be cool. this one. But he'll be back. Okay, fair point. Yeah, they they do have copies. Uh, but yeah, like the diversity of the sort of the Eternals' experiences and their issues, I thought was kind of interesting. Yeah, we don't get a lot of time with many of them because big cast. You know, only one movie. Uh, you know, this isn't like an Avengers situation where we have multiple movies for all these characters, but it, they did a decent job, I think, setting the stage for them. And yeah, like there were some interesting ideas, like, you know, the nature of one's existence and do we do what we're supposed we were created to do or do we do what we want to do and what are the effects of that? So like, it did, it did kind of start, this is kind of like existentialism 101. It kind of put a little bit in it and I kind of appreciated that. Existentialism it was a bit of a- for seven-year-olds. Yeah, well, again, I don't think this movie would play well with seven-year-olds. Boy, did they but, try, though. Yeah, so yeah, and then like we have the whole thing, like, you, you killed a baby at the end of this movie. It was a giant planet-smashing baby, but it was still this, you know, it was an innocent life that was, you know, just doing what is natural in the universe. And, yeah, like, I think they kind of needed to give a bit more emphasis they, on that. They really did. Like, they just brushed over the, you know murder there yeah it's like wait a minute we're killing it now like i thought the plan was mind control it so it goes to sleep to buy us enough time to you know figure but you out but you don't right. understand do druid yeah. is a male character okay. and the female character has to win david anything yeah. else uh yeah almost at the end there yeah and i do appreciate that even at the end uh, arishim you know he doesn't just freak out he goes you know hey you guys were some, you had one job to birth this <laughs> celestial you know, and you didn't do it. You better have had a really good reason for that. And I'm going to give you a chance to explain yourselves. And if I if I approve of your explanation, then okay, humanity continues to live. If not, you know, I'm going to bring the hammer down. Like, you know, it's like, oh, this is actually like some sort of rational thought here. Yeah, I yeah. appreciate right. the fact that they're going to show up in front of the living tribunal for the next episode. And now opening yeah. remarks for the prosecution, Alexis. My biggest problem with this film, like I mentioned earlier, is that this film tries to cram so much into admittedly an exaggerated and ex- stupidly huge long ru- uh, run time, but it focuses on stuff that frankly is not interesting enough to keep us. There are so many characters in this film and so many of them have story arcs and backgrounds that I think would have been fascinating for and any, I would have watched a mo- a two hour movie about any of these other characters Thank you. I always wanted claws on the back. Yeah, of the I, head. I found the fight scenes to be the most boring part of the film. Not done well, and the CGI in places does not hold up. I mean, not if they're really. Not there, your audience of seven-year-olds, both you know, I, 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 I age, understand age-wise or maturity-wise, is going to throw their drinks and popcorn at the movie screen. They have to be there. It's perfunctory. Go on, Alexis. <laughs> I do appreciate that Chloe Zhao uh, tried so hard to minimize how much CGI they used. Most of the uh, location shots were, they were on location. She used very little uh, green screen effects, very little CGI for that. And the the movie is very beautiful looking on that regard. But again, I would have rather watched so many of these other characters and learned about them. 
you got Sprite, who is an eternal locked in the body of a preteen, never to grow old and never to fall in love or anything like that. That's interesting. You have Kingo, who has spent five generations playing his own descendant as an actor in Bollywood. That's interesting. You have Fastos, who has, you know, just lost his faith because he has seen his technology, what he started, turn into you know genocidal weapons and now he's just trying to make a go of it with a family that would have been interesting you have druig who is basically saying like i have these two pets and they keep fighting and i can break them up if i want but i'm told not to and then i come home one day one of the pets is dead and he's found this piece by mind controlling a whole village that's interesting so many and terrifying very terrifying but interesting you can't argue yeah yeah so many of these characters are interesting and we spend almost the whole movie focusing on cersei and icarus who have no personalities whatsoever they are boring they are so dull look i am not the kind of person who says that every marvel movie has to be the same i am not the kind of person that says where's my big you know action scene where's my quipping heroes i'm not gonna say that i understand we have to evolve and we have to try different things but a marvel movie should still be entertaining this wasn't entertaining this was boring this was dull this was, this was well to you and many others but let, let's not over over speak this it's not a real word but i can't I'm trying to make a point so that you can yeah. continue we, we can assume everyone's to some opinion. people not all people i I, let's put it this way. There were three people, me my, and my two kids, and we all came away with different levels of entertainment value from this movie. You know, I was entertained. My daughter was entertained. My son was like, when are, when's Venom 3 coming out? So, I mean, and that's the thing. That's one of the things I've kind of hated about the, the discussion of this movie, not our discussion necessarily, but just sort of the general one is, yeah, a lot of people have were bored by it, which is perfectly fine and valid. You get to have that opinion, you know, and as a general audience member. But to say that, you know, to say that the movie is objectively boring, it entertained nobody, it show, it has no value in the cinematic landscape, it's a bit much. It's a bit, a bit, bit of an overreach. Okay, fair enough. For me, I mentioned this before, Mark, on our other show with the MCU's Bleeding Edge. I think the way that this should have gone, this should have been a series. This should have been that. this should have been an MCU Disney Plus series. We could have had we could have used episodes to focus on the individual characters follow their storyline learn a bit more about them understand their development a bit more i think this would have been so much better on that the fact mm -hmm. is that the eternals are very interesting characters and there is a lot of potential there this movie was just grossly mishandled in my opinion okay is there anything else you wanted to add to that or are you good i think that's it for now um, to keep this moving along and to not backtrack over stuff that Dave and Alexis already said, I just have really three points. One, the good, the bad, and the ugly. The good is I understand that Robert's about to throw himself on top and be screaming the moral quandary was stupid and bad, done, bad, uh, poorly done. I liked it. I think my opinion, Mark Rattledge, opinion, subjective. This was a better handled moral quandary than the one we got in Civil War. There's been two of them in the length and breadth of the, of the, of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So I'm willing to give 
maybe um, more credit than it's due just because it's the only other one they've ever dealt with. Everything in the Marvel Universe is MacGuffins and, and, and chasing them around a, uh, a concentrated area. We got to get a thing to go with thing to, you know, the, the, we've talked, Robert and I have done so many podcasts. Rob's done at least two series on the problems with the Marvel Cinematic Universe villains. They've always got a cockamamie Batman 66X plan. There's always a thing everyone's chasing around and they're always underdeveloped. The light, the nice and the thing. About and the villain is always a dark reflection of the hero. Right. And what I liked about this movie is that the central conflict was a moral and ethical one. Um, wherein, and I like, I like the idea that they're playing around with this. And it's something that I think like DC Comics has done with their cosmic sphere, Marvel to a lesser extent, which is why are we focusing so much on Earth? Earth is only one of, of zillions of planets out there. Why is this one special? And, you know, and the fourth wall breaking answer is, well, that's where the audience is and that's who pays for the comics. But, you know, but they've always had to sort of done mental gymnastics to explain it in, in continuity in the books. I like the fact that there's a character at least speaking for the argument of it's not special. Earth is not special. Earthlings are not special. We are part of an intelligent design. I'm not really pointing at the religious thing, but it's but I think it's a good phrase to use here. We are pointing at the intelligent design of the universe here. Earth is just a small fraction of that. It's not the center of it as it's been made out to be. And then the other side of the argument is, yes, but we love these people. You can't help who you fall in love with. You can't stop yourself from falling in love uh, in all reality. And yes, we could have fallen in love with any number of beings throughout the universe, but we fell in love with these people. And so we're going to protect them as maddening and as illogical as that might be. And those two forces are in conflict. You can now talk about how it's done at a, at a seven-year-old level, but at least they tried. And at least it was there. And it, it's again, it was more intelligently written than the conflict of civil war, which was dumber than shit. We covered that ad nauseum. And there is nothing like else like that in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. It's not a whole lot of that in any movie that I that we cover on here these days. I talked about this I on. I can't Jeff, imagine why. I, I talked about this on Jeff's podcast. This was, I think, closer to the boys and Jupiter's legacy than it was a typical Marvel movie, which may play into why people are having such struggles with it. But that's what I liked about it. Um, I liked the fact that it was in part a deconstruction of the superhero genre. Um, and that leads and before I, and it, that leads me to what I what doesn't work about this movie. But let me also say the best thing about this movie and this is to Chloe Zhao's credit. And we talked about this with Nomadland. The woman knows how to make the cameras work for her. She makes pretty movies. Nomad she is, is gorgeous. She Eternal really is. does need to be more someone's director of photography than yeah. trying um, directing this kind of movie. Or be a director for hire for something that requires visuals but has nothing to do with this. But she has nothing to do with the story. She's just making the picture come alive. Um, the, the star of this movie is the visuals, not any single actress or performer or anything like that or scene. It's a gorgeous movie from start to finish. The, pop, the, the, the blues in Babylon pop like few pictures I've seen this year. Even the, the final fight scene, as much as it's on a beach, you know, it all pops and is very colorful and dynamic. And it's, it's just a gorgeous movie to behold. So, you know, if you're not utterly lost by the plot of this thing or bored by the performances or whatever the story is, I think you should at least be engaged by what's on screen, which is a major pillar of filmmaking. It's something that, you know, deserves credit. Um, what doesn't work is this movie definitely exceeded its own reach. Um 
or attempt it attempted to and, and failed miserably. There was a lot of heft here. This thing needed to be another this thing needed another pass or two through editing and save something else for another film or make it a television show, as Alexis said. This is the one thing that Alexis and I like to, are in hundred percent agreement on. There was too much movie for even a two and a half to three hour runtime. Like Endgame earns its runtime to a, to the degree that you have followed James Bond's story. That movie earned its runtime, even though it didn't make the most of it. It didn't make the most of it. It earned it, though. You can Fair. make the argument, you know, we need three hours to say goodbye to Daniel Craig. The three hours were wasted. Doesn't, let's move on. Um, you know, the three hour runtime of Return of the King was earned. Three hours of these people was not earned, not in the slightest. And that, that's a big problem with this movie. Um, the ugly, and I want to take issue with something that Alexis said, and I brought this up on um, MCU's Bleeding Edge. I think when you're, when you're sitting around the writing table and you're like, we're going to talk about space robot gods, okay? We're going to do a movie about space robot gods. What would space robot gods act like? How would they behave? What would they do? They're not human beings. They're not afforded the full range of emotionality that you would experience as a human being. So what would they do? And then you say, okay, give me more stoicism. Give me a little bit more flat because you're not, because you're, you know, centuries old beings. You're not going to be moved into hysterics at the drop of a hat the way the rest of us mortals are. So give me that kind of performance. And then Gemma Chan and what's his face who plays Icarus? Help me. Richard Madden. Thank you. Richard Madden, do that. Angelina Jolie does that when she's not going cross-eyed and acting weird. You know, they, they for the most part, give you, I think, what, the, what Chloe Zhao was looking for. And then everyone goes, why aren't they making quips like Thor and Spider-Man? Like, that's not their characters. That's not what the director wanted of them. That's not what this movie is. I think, I think, the, I think expecting the audience after being trained as they were with, you know, 97 Marvel movies before this to appreciate stoicism as acted on screen is asking your audience for a lot, which is why I categorize this as ugly. But I would not say that that's a poor or boring or bad performance or a poor choice of direction. They went for a look and an, uh, they went for an aesthetic. They went for a tone. They mostly achieved it. Your, your take on it, your, your mileage may vary as to how much you appreciate that. Robert? All right, closing arguments for the prosecution, then. <laughs> Thank you for going with that joke. Here's, I think, where this movie really falls apart. We've all said it. I think it's true. This needed to be a series. This needed eight hours. Mm -hmm. Give this an mm -hmm. eight-hour Give this an eight hour first season. I don't think we have a problem here as far as that, that goes. I disagree with you on the following ways about when you talk about the performances, especially of our two primary characters, Cersei and Icarus. Mm -hmm. You can do stoicism. And I, I think that's okay. But you do need to be somewhat interesting. There has okay. to be something there. Like, what do we, what is there to Cersei as a character? Yeah, okay, I get, I, I know what you're alluding to. This is kind of a Captain Marvel problem where you're, you're, you're afforded attributes that are not actually seen on screen. And, and again, the same is true of Icarus, lest I be accused of some kind of sexism here. Icarus doesn't really have a personality either. And I'm okay with Stoic. Like, you're correct. These people would not have the same reactions that you or I do. And they only come out a little bit when they start interacting with each other, which is the only people they have any kind of real 
sense of familiarity with. So I'm okay with that as a general choice, but it's a big fall. It's a big fault in the writing and arguably the acting, depending on how much leash they were given in their performances to make them this uninteresting. Can it be said though, that because so many other people in the cast, you know, Sprite, Faustus, um, Druig for the part, the little bit that he's on screen, Gilgamesh, Gilgamesh they is all great. That they, they all had distinctive dynamic personalities. Yeah. If you have everybody being clowns, then nobody stands out. I think well, somebody has to be the straight man. You can be a straight man without being a plank of wood. Okay. If you want another example of this. Um, Henry Cavill and the Witcher. Sure. That's a good one. He's stoic, but he's also got a personality. Right. Um, How about Goliath and Gargoyles? He's incredibly mm -hmm. stoic, but he's yeah. got a personality. Uh Omni-Man, believe it or not, in um, Invincible <coughs> is a very stoic character. Utopian, once again. Yeah, but they're stoic, but there's personality. There's something going on. They're actual mm -hmm. characters. Cersei and Icarus may as well have been made out of cardboard. Okay. And I think that's a real problem, especially if you're going to tell me that one of the big emotional climaxes of this thing is supposed to be Icarus going, I can't kill you. I love you. I will help you destroy this thing and then kill myself out of guilt. So, like you We never even really get a scene why they love each other. No. You know? Hey, they had sex on the beach. That was all we needed. All right. Someone needed to say it's out there sure. now. Go ahead. <laughs> so do you mean they actually had intercourse or are you referring to the beverage? Both. <laughs> However, okay. it is they got naked on the beach. I'm sure alcohol was involved. It was ancient Babylon. Okay, I'll I'll give you maybe. Um, <laughs> no, that actually does. That goes to I'm a sorry. big problem with this movie. Uh, this is a bigger problem, I think, than some of the others. This movie is great about telling you, not showing you. The visuals. I'm with you guys about this, like the cinematic visuals, the vistas, the cinematography. Great, hundred <laughs> percent highlight highlight of the movie. Absolutely great. We the fact that we need Druig to go on a brief rant about his ethos, that we need King Mo to explain to all of us in painful detail that Sprite loves Icarus in an unrequited way. Let's just make the Peter Pan reference. We need Icarus to actually say "I love you" because he can't because he never actually shows it. There's I felt so sorry for Sprite with Kiko like. You know, keep, keep poking me at the sensitive area of my psyche. Yeah. The, there's just so, so much telling, not showing when it comes to characters and their interactions with each other. And it's a real, real problem. To anyone who was bored by this movie, I know I was. Here's part of the problem with that, and I think one of the things that induces it. The first two-thirds of this thing are shockingly repetitive. Allow me to summarize in the following fashion. Our, uh, two of the Eternals are attacked by a Deviant in London, and Icarus shows up. They find Ajax. She's dead, and they're sad. They go find another Eternal, tell him that Ajax's dead, and they're sad. They go find another Eternal, tell him that Ajax is dead, and he's sad. They go find another Eternal. Deviant attack. They go find another Eternal. Ajax's dead. We're sad. Deviant attack. Oh, existential crises. We need the other Eternal. Other Eternal, Ajax dead, we're sad, and existential crises, and faux philosophical argument, and then we all just keep moving on anyway. 
It's the same stupid thing over and over and over and over again. And if you're bored by that, I don't blame you one bit. Um, we really should have gotten more of uh, Kit Harrington's Dane because, frankly, he had more personality. Well, I, we talked about this on Sunday. I don't know why he's, in, he's even in the movie except to do the bit with the ebony blade at the end. Yeah, he's well, almost certain not appearing there. in this picture. Yeah. <laughs> I'm excited to get a to get the Black Knight in a future film, and I'm thrilled it's going to be played by Kit Harrington because I love him right. as an actor. Oh, if, I love if him. I'm angry I, about I, anything I, or if I'm joining in the chorus of people booing at this picture is that he, Kit Harrington was utterly the, the character of the Black Knight was a waste in this picture. If they needed to shave runtime, just cut his part. I completely. But I would have cut like one minute out. <laughs> I completely forgot my other half of the gag about Jon Snow joining the Night's Watch, soon to come coming to you soon on Disney Plus in an eight episode miniseries. Because the, I don't think they're giving that a full movie. I might be wrong, but I my hunch it would be not. Uh. It's going to be interesting if they have him work with Blade. Black Knight and Blade really didn't pair up that often in the yeah, comics. Because of the because of the way the, the movie ends with the voice off screen being Mashallah Ali, who is being Blade, I suspect that's where he turns up next. Robert, finish up your points. The finale of this movie, the final fight sequence. I hated this so much. <laughs> but and for why? I will, I'm happy to illuminate my point. This is on you now, Mark. You encouraged him. <laughs> I'm willing to go along with a whole lot in these movies. I'm not going to yell about uh, Arishim showing up in Earth's orbit and not causing problems. <laughs> I I'm not. He travels via singularity. Okay, I'll acknowledge he can probably control the amount of gravity that is inherent to his mass, so he's not going to cause problems when he travels around the universe. Okay, we're good. No problem. The giant celestial bursting through the crust of the earth. I got a problem with that. When the, Do you have any idea? Just displacing that much water. Okay. The tsunamis. I know you want to do a Mr. Wizard thing, but, but 50 words or less. We get it. It's stupid. It's it's more than stupid. There's plenty of stupid in the MCU. No, no, but I mean, it's stupid to think that you can have a have a large, you know, thousands of foot, foot tall thing erupt from the core of the planet, and, and it gets and it causes maybe a mild wave in an earthquake. We, we get again it. giant tsunamis to say nothing of what you have done to the internal makeup of the Earth. You have just disrupted the entire rotation of. Billy, uh, I don't. I forget the exact amount of of liquid metal that makes up the Earth's core. You have disrupted all of that. Do you know how important the rotation of that liquid metal is to the Earth? Very. It's what it's what creates the magnetic field that lets us determine north from south. It's what creates the Van Allen radiation belts that shield us from the cosmic rays of the sun. And you've now disrupted it with no consequence. You have gone too far with this. I need disaster. You burst something from the Earth's core of that size. You want to stop it? Okay, I'll go along with you. But if you don't have something move heaven and Earth to stop the sheer destruction that is a result of that kind of motion on the on a planetary scale, we got a real problem. What if Icarus had flown around the Earth? Backwards. Uh, backwards. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Robert, I, yeah it, uh, would it make you feel any better if we just said a wizard did it? 
No, no. Because, because Doctor <laughs> Strange didn't show up. Yeah, or maybe we have enough superheroes now that they can deal with all those disasters then, elsewhere then, on the planet. Look. Yeah, The Rock was flying around in a helicopter from a different movie. Sure. <laughs> maybe that'll be the subject of an upcoming film somewhere. That would be a we... really good introductory sequence for another hero movie. Is Well, like... think about what we had with uh, WandaVision and um, uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier how they actually tackled the sudden appearance of mm. all the people who returned to the planet. Right. Cause yeah, I think even we mentioned, it's like, that's going to be kind of complicated. They, they did actually cover that. And but, I think but, we were all relatively satisfied with those answers. But I think what Robert is saying is that the, that team hand just coming up as far as it did, the journey from the hand from wherever it started to, to where it got to would have caused sufficient enough planet that we'd all be dead. Got so it. Nothing of the head showing up. Right. Like, okay. A I'm giant portion of that sticks out of the, like you've, like, we may not cause an extinction level event with that. You might not, but you caused a lot of problems there. And to brush that off in a newsreel, the next scene with, Hey, this thing appeared suddenly in the middle of the Indian ocean. Like, no, no. Okay. Like, yeah, we yeah. have, we have gone too far. You this much consternation other than the Marvel writers, shock of all socks, heaven for fend don't understand how physics work. There's physics and then there's like common sense. They don't even understand common sense at this point. Again, written for seven-year-olds by seven-year-olds. We got it. Yeah, you're not wrong. Okay, the last thing I think I wanted to touch on was you brought up the moral dilemma that is at least given lip service to. I'm going to disagree with you slightly in only the following way. The entire argument for not murdering this nascent being as it comes into consciousness and will then give life to galaxies is taken up by the one character that we know is a villain sprite does not have sprite is not convinced by the argument she's desperately in love with icarus kingo pay again is a bit gives you a bit of lip service but then he pieces out and i'm okay with him being non-confrontational about this believe it or not like, I'm not saying he needed to do a Han Solo or a heel equivalent thereof in the final fight. Like, okay. Even though it does make his character almost completely useless. Completely. 100% useless. This guy could have been written out of this movie. Nothing would be lost. They needed an airplane because only one of them can fly. So they charter one. These people are rich beyond imagining being alive for this long. Come on. Cersei can turn anything into gold. Seriously, I don't think money is an issue for them. Yeah, like, that's not a problem. I just feel like if you're going to try and even pay lip service to this argument, we need somebody that isn't a flat piece of wood and a bad guy to to stand up for it. Kingo doesn't really stand up for it so much as go, I don't, I think he's right, but I don't know for sure. And I, you have my blessing to go oppose him because I am just enjoying the view from up here on this fence. I'm set. I'm straddling. It, it, it just, I don't think that works. I think if you want to, if you want to address this as a legitimate moral quandary, you need to give legitimate space for the arguments to develop. And this movie doesn't do that because then we have to move on to one existential crisis after another, after another, all of which are done in a fashion that a seven-year-old could follow and a teenager will think is deep. <laughs> this is a poorly written movie. It is repetitive. 
if you were entertained by it, I imagine it's because you spent a lot of time looking at the vistas and the camera work that was done, because there's not a whole lot else here. The fight choreography is poor. Icarus is the worst iteration of evil Superman that we've seen in the last eight years. And there's been and, a lot of those. Yeah, he wasn't even that evil. You know what I mean. Villainous Superman, if you prefer, rather than evil. I mean, I, I joked about him being Homelander, but Homelander's a fascinating character. Icarus is a plank of wood. Omni-Man is an interesting character that plays off of an, other interesting characters and is voiced by the wonderful J. Jonah Jameson. And oh, Brightburn was an interesting character. More interesting than this. It, it's a failure of writing... It's a failure of character direction, not visual direction. Again, Chloe Zhao, beautiful visuals, 100%. There's a failure of internal logic, frequently. There's a handful of exposition dumps that are poorly placed and even worse explained. It's not a good movie. Now, there are good things about it, but that doesn't make it a good movie. I I just take way too many issues with this. I think everything was given too short a shrift. The stuff that they tried to give greater run, uh, emphasis to fell flat. The writing of certain characters was weak. There's just not a whole lot here of any substance. I would be shocked if anyone watches this more than once. Ah, but you see, my good man. But there is one thing I believe we can all agree on. That was no, absolutely I don't, hang wonderful. On. Please stop Bef arguing with me. I just want to do the plug. I know you want to do the plug, so let me say let me say this so you can you can but do I've this slightly different. But I've already done the time. Okay, <laughs> go ahead. The music in this isn't even all that good. Shut up, Skeeter Davis's end of the world is hauntingly beautiful. And do you know where you can find this hauntingly beautiful version I of the end of the what, world by I said Skeeter what Davis? I said. No, Mark, where? Tell Skeeter, us, tell us. Skeeter Davis, David and Alexis, you can find her version of End of the World that is used in the trailers and in this movie, which is wonderful and beautiful and honestly has been stuck in my head since then. Besides the beautiful vistas of this movie is the only other thing that's really stuck with me. You can find it all on AmazonMusic.com, don't you know? And we oh. are giving away a free 30... I don't know why I go Irish when I say that, but um, free 30 days of... A free 30-day trial of the Amazon Music Unlimited service by clicking the link in the description of this podcast at getamazonmusic.com slash W2M network. Getamazonmusic.com slash W2M network. If you're not a communist like Robert is and you actually enjoyed the music of this movie. How do you get from point A to point B there? By monorail. <laughs> um, then you can go check out the soundtrack, the complete soundtrack, the orchestral versions, everything. Uh, that was used in this movie on AmazonMusic.com. Uh, and if you don't, if you like other things, you can find them too. There'll be 70 billion songs on AmazonMusic.com. If you're interested in movie soundtracks that don't suck, check out Hans Zimmer's work from Dune. Uh, what was the other one that we just did where we we said that the one one good thing about it? Oh, it was um, Mank. Uh, Atticus Ross and Trent Reznor. Mm -hmm. Outstanding yeah. soundtrack that you can find on AmazonMusic.com slash W2M Network. And with that... Goddamn, Let, Mel. <laughs> let's have. Hey, look, we got that done in about the time we wanted to. So credit it to us. It only took me screaming three times. Here I we do go. I actually have one quick question bringing up music and things you listen to. How did what, anyone else question why Macaria was using the American sign language over a thousand years before America was even founded? Because she's or why were they using English before English was a language? I know. Yeah. I can I can deal with the whole English thing because I 
I've always just assumed that when they're speaking English, it's a case of they're probably speaking another language. It's it, we hear it as English for our behalf. But no, I've actually studied a little American Sign Language, and when I saw Makara using it again, I love that they cast a deaf actress for this. It was awesome, but at the same time, I'm going wait shouldn't she be i mean I, I was kind of thinking like with the scene with dune where they actually had their own version of sign language mm -hmm. which i thought was really really creative it's a lot like, to ask it's a lot to ask for in a marvel movie for them to create their own sign language i, I just, just thought they could have done something like that everybody in the universe better, is american better that, hang on better question is why would arishem create a defective robot that couldn't hear i have a better question for you how much did this money make i don't know let's check the money all right why did you switch to that clip when because it doesn't cling the uh, it doesn't ding the copyright thing on youtube yeah also um, still still love the spanish subtitles and we love you robert winfrey <laughs> fuck all um <laughs> on a budget of 200 million dollars this thing on its opening weekend thus far worldwide has made 166.3 million dollars which is fairly decent in only when you're only considering the great reset of american cinema not great judged against any version of the mcu uh up to the year 2019 and all odd um with that said it was the number one movie of the weekend no shit sherlock it'll be the number one movie of this weekend because it has no competition i if there was a if hang on you i think you're correct let me start there oh good I'm really surprised no one tried to come out the second week on this because again they were pushing for Ghostbusters, but then Maverick moved and everything kind of you know they just everyone sort of ran from the Eternals because the internal logic I'm, I'm assuming of Sony and some of the other ones was hey let's not directly compete with this thing let's give it some space to breathe and see how it does and it and turns out you could have if Ghostbusters comes out this Friday. Mm -hmm. There's no competition. It blows Eternals out of the water. Oh, yeah, Eternals, Eternals is like face down, dead in an alley. But it'll. But but again, everything ran from this weekend. It's the big wide release is Belfast, which only if you're looking at Oscar movies is anyone going to go see that thing. It's it's that that's going to be a race to Pivot. But that is literally the only wide release that I saw. So yeah, anyone going to the movies this weekend is still going to see Eternals. To the extent um, that anyone chooses, I, I don't know. I, I'm serious question to the four of you and anyone watching along. If you happen to be doing so live, you gonna go see this in theaters again? No. Mark. What Eternals? Yeah. No. David. Yeah. Also, no. We'll go see Dune again, though. But uh, well, Disney Plus Home Video might give it another look. Well, I'm gonna have to watch it again on Disney Plus because my husband didn't want to see it in theaters, and he said he'd see it when it comes out on Disney Plus. Well, it does bring us to before I continue with the week, the weekend. Um, you know, Disney now has 45 day window so like shang chi just got to disney plus i think this past week uh, i mean the 12th i think or at least maybe frozen yeah, canada either way black widow you know not that not that long ago my point being that for people who were a little was you know were kind of out on the eternals going to see it in movies they don't have to wait that long anymore to see it on disney plus and a lot of people are doing the mental math going is this something i need like for people who were like oh my god female superhero gotta go see that in theaters went to the theaters to go see Black Widow, even though they could have immediately got it on Disney Plus. Because, you know, people were interested in that character. Character had a legacy. There was some built-in um, interest in there. 
which in you know theory. with Shang Chi, I you know again people um, were interested in seeing whatever the newest Marvel movie was. It was a kung fu movie. There was there, there was again a lot of built-in interest there. People Eternals doesn't have that doesn't unfortunately have that going for it. Um, I think people sort of looked at this. Don't know who the Eternals are. This is the Chris Bailey argument. No one knows what the Eternals are. Nobody cares. And unless you were just a committed Marvel fan, you know, that has to see everything in the theaters, a lot of people were making the mental math of not going to see it. Yeah. Um, I also think it needs to be said. The counter argument to this frequently is, yeah, no one knew who the Guardians of the Galaxy were either. And it's the Guardians of the Galaxy, or Iron Man, or Black Panther, or well, Ant Man, well, or anyone on. other than Hulk and Spider. I don't want to go through the entire thirty-seven odd list of movies, but just Guardians of the Galaxy. I'll focus on that. Had a fun pop music soundtrack that got everyone's attention, and Black ha Panther was Black Panther. Well, hang I mean, on. The other thing, there's something else that uh, Guardians of the Galaxy in particular had going for it at the time that doesn't exist at the moment. And that was a lot of goodwill. Marvel right. had a bunch of goodwill built up at that point. And in the wake of Endgame, a lot of that has gone away. Whether that's well, fair or not, I think, is an entirely well, different subject. Well, hang on. Subject. It went away because we had a year break and everyone was dealing with the end of the world. That's not yeah, really I fair. Don't, that's not so, all Marvel. Okay, but so I'm not blaming them. I'm saying mm -hmm. they don't have it. Black Panther also had the advantage of having the character appear in Civil War. So when right. it, when they got the movie announced, more people were familiar with it. And they had because they were like, oh, yeah, the character uh, who showed up in that movie. Right. Have so. the Eternal show up in Loki. You might do better here. Let's yeah. move on. Well, my, my counter argument was just like before Black Panther showed up in Civil War, nobody knew who Black Panther was. No, like, but, but, like, again, with the exception of Spider-Man and the Hulk, pretty much every character in the MCU up to this point has been obscure as far as the general public is considered. But they've done a better job. And look, not every movie that was in, that introduced a hero did well either. Thor and Captain America's first movies didn't do great. It's, you know, the MCU has only been wildly successful since Phase 2. Phase 1, you know, one could argue was met, you know, financially. Uh Phase two was fi phase one was si was successful enough financially to warrant them going forward with it, and it, and more and more than I think for phase one at least more than pure financial returns, it was trying to permeate the pop culture, mm -hmm. and it did that better than anything in phase two did. Well, what I was trying to say was like once you got to phase two, when once you had the initial rollout of your core characters, then phase two comes along and the and the formula is introduce a new character in an you know in an old guy's movie and and then then do the movie that you're gonna see him in following that. And that worked for them. All right, we, we gotta move this on. So Eternal debuts at number one. Um it did uh, 71 million uh domestic uh, no it did yeah, it did seventy one million in its opening weekend, but it's had a, it's had one hundred and sixty six worldwide because it had I think released earlier in some other parts of the world. Uh, Dune fell from one to two. Didn't um, even, in, credit to Dune, it didn't even lose fifty percent of its drop from week one to week two. That's darn good. It missed it by point five. I mm. still um, look it, if you if you hold uh, if you hold fifty percent or more, that's mm -hmm. really good. Uh, and it, there was a drop of 579 theaters. No Time yeah. to Die in its third week maintained its third spot. Dropped 22% and lost another 500 theaters. Venom, the bane of Robert's existence, actually it's up, went up. It's up there. <laughs> it went up a week, uh, a spot. It went from five to four this week. Um, even though Robert, it lost what do you, uh, say, Robert, what was worse, Eternals or Venom? Um, it dropped 638. I, I don't even want to wait for an answer. It dropped 638 theaters. 
uh, for a 22% drop. So, I mean, look, regardless of what Robert Winfrey thinks of it, it's doing well. Ron's gone wrong. Again, jumped up. What is This is weird. Ron's uh, gone wrong, debuted at number eight and jumped to number five somehow. I guess the word got out on it. And that's, a, and that's despite a, almost a thousand theater drop. Uh, the French Dispatch had more of a wide opening this weekend. Um, it went from 10 to 6, and it opened in 417 theaters. Halloween Kills plummeted. Yeah, <laughs> Hang, boy, on. Did it. <laughs> Hang on. Wait a minute. Did it, and boy, did it plummet. We don't need to hear the whole crash. You get the point. Um... Let's see here. So that dropped from two to seven. Spencer debuted at number eight. This is a prestige picture by Neon Productions. I'm actually going to see it this weekend. Alexis and I will review it sometime in January, along with a couple of other prestige pictures that are coming out. I didn't expect anyone to actually go see this thing, and I don't think the studio did either. This is this was put out to compete for an Oscar, and apparently it's it's worthy of it. Uh, from what I've heard, the buzz on uh, Kristen Stewart did a hell of a job with this. Antlers fell from six to nine. Uh, last night in Soho, seven to ten. Speaking of bombs, Boy, I'm not play this out again. Of, yeah, <laughs> but speaking of bombs, that one is—it's uh, not quite atomic, but it might be a Moab. Yeah, My Hero Academia: World Heroes Missions fell from four to eleven. Um, not surprising. Not a lot of rewatch value there. Yeah, mm -hmm. Surya Vinashi, uh, <laughs> number twelve. Uh, the Adams Family, which also debuted simultaneously on Pivod. Dropped out of almost a thousand theaters, lost, uh, went down fifty three percent, and dropped from nine to thirteen. So that's pretty much the end of that picture. Yeah, um, Shang Chi's about to just be done. Yeah. Um, well, we talked about that before the Eternals came out. So that dropped from eleven to fourteen, and is now about to be on Disney Plus. The last duel, the last me um. too. <laughs> lost seven hundred and thirty theaters. They can't get that thing out of the theaters fast enough. Dropped from twelve to fifteen. Free Guy still hanging in there from August. Dropped from fifteen to sixteen. How is Free Guy still doing that in the last tool, which I have actually heard nothing but good stuff about just bombing that badly? Um, we reviewed it. I mean, you know, look, unless you're like really into, you know, medieval type movies, nobody wants to go see a sad movie about a rape. Um, that's why it's not doing well. Fair enough. Guys. That's like all the reviewers that I follow are all like, why are not more people see this movie? It's so good. Okay. Yeah, those are reviewers who have lost touch with. I mean, look, I might scream about Venom being trash because I think it is. I'm not miffed as to why morons are entertained by it. And seven-year-olds, don't forget them; they count. They're in included in this. They're included in the statement of morons. They're seven. Yeah. Just wanted to make sure we were on the same page. The rescue, seventeen, two weeks in a row. The souvenir part two, twenty-two to eighteen. Wow, a lot of things went up. This is the weirdest scale. A mouthful right. of air, fourteen to nineteen. Um, Jungle Cruise, twenty-one to twenty. Good that for you, be... Jungle Cruise. If that, I was gonna say that should either be coming onto Disney Plus soon and have if it hasn't already. Yeah, I think it's just about there. Um, and dear Evan Hansen, you stink. That joke never gets old. <laughs> really, that movie really does though. <laughs> uh, Christmas versus the Walters debuted at number twenty-two and made a paltry twenty-seven thousand. Oh, yeah. Jesus Christ, they don't even pay teachers that little. Um, the beta test debuted at number twenty-four, and that was the weekend that was. Uh, as I said, this weekend there is no competition um so eternals will most likely repeat in the number one spot and then the 19th is ghostbusters the reviews are coming out hey alexis have you seen the news today i don't i don't want specifics necessarily but 
do you know generally what people are so aggravated about Ghostbusters for? Because apparently, because I saw something on Twitter today. I saw two things. One, apparently, a bunch of Spider-Man pictures leaked. I have not seen yep. them, but that's that's, that's been a big that, that's been a big Twitter uh, hue and cry. For the, the other, sake of the argument, we're not going to talk about Spider-Man spoilers on this particular podcast. Yeah, no, no. I just we'll, wanted, we'll, we'll discuss it when we were we discuss uh, Disney Plus Day. Um, yeah, I just wanted to point out that there were two hue and cries on Twitter today. One was the Spider-Man leak which I don't care about. Um, two was something about Ghostbusters. Um, I guess the reviews are coming out for that now. And apparently it's very like heavily laden with nostalgia and pointing to the original two movies is what I thought I was reading. And people it's almost like, like it's a sequel. And people are pissed about it. What have you, what do you see with your elven eyes? You really think I'm an elf. <laughs> yeah, I, I quote lots of movies. That's a compliment. I also ask people what are their thoughts on God and whether they'd like to meet her. I'm laden with quotes. Okay. Um, most reviews I've heard have been positive for Ghostbusters. I know that um, another trailer was released in the last 24 hours in which uh, you actually hear Bill Murray talk. Okay. Um, mm -hmm. Because we know that... Uh, Bill Murray, Dan Aykroyd, and Ernie Hudson are going to make cameos in this. Okay. Uh, they reveal a little bit more of the plot and how this is going to tie in more specifically to the previous Ghostbusters movies. It's not just... We, we all know this is Egon's family. Yes. We all yes. know this is his daughter and his grandchildren. Th yes. That is not a surprise. We know that. But apparently there is now more of a plot revealed about how this ties in. Um, I guess the... Without trying to go into too much of what could potentially be spoilers, uh, Ivo Chandler, who uh, designed the building that Dana Barrett lived in in the first Ghostbusters movie. I'm assuming we are all giant Ghostbusters nerds and we know this. Enough. <laughs> uh, yeah, I know enough to follow. You. Yeah, okay. It's like, tell me, it's like you guys at least have seen the movie 5,000 times, like the rest yes. of humanity. Uh, I have not if counted, not, but more than once. Else, I just took my kids to see it. Um, Hollywood. Hollywood. Bleh. Halloween weekend. So yes, I remember the name from the movie. Okay, yeah, I I got them both on my computer upstairs. I put them on whenever I'm bored and I need to work. Uh, so yes, apparently Ivo did not just design this building. He put in installments around the country, sort of okay. as a fail safe if the building didn't work. And this well in Oklahoma, which is near where uh, Egon's family's house is, uh, is one of those. So okay. that's why this is now and getting this, all this attention. And this is triggering critics because, like, why can't we do something new and interesting? I guess, which, okay. frankly... Morons. Okay, yeah, here's the thing. They tried to do something new, and that's when we got the Ghostbusters 2016. This one was directed by Jason Reitman, Ivan mm -hmm. Reitman's son, the, right. who did an article when this was first announced saying, hey, I'm the original Ghostbusters fan. He talks about being on the set as a little right. kid, how he got to enjoy before the movie ever came out. And yes, critics are saying this film is a... I'm sorry about the barking dogs. They're chasing a ghost. <laughs> They've actually been quite well behaved for most of the podcast. I have to leave the back door open, otherwise she cries to go out, and I have to continuously mm -hmm. get offline. But so... yes, they're saying that this they're saying that this film is a love letter to the fans of the original mm -hmm. Ghostbusters. And yeah, I guess some people are bitching and moaning about that, yeah. but I'm not going to lie. I haven't actually seen a lot of negative okay. stuff about this, but I also tend to follow more of the nerdy crowds right. who 
grew up with Ghostbusters like I did, and when they actually hear Bill Murray say a line, they're like, oh my god, oh my god, it's Peter Venkman. Right. I have a so. sneaking suspicion when we talk about this in, in two or three weeks, it's going to be one of those Rotten Tomato low scores, but audience scores is like 100%. So whatever. Like I said, I honestly haven't heard we'll anything particularly bad about it. I've heard the acting's good. I heard the setup is good. I heard all the mm. tie-ins work. I've heard the tie-ins do not feel forced like some of the things we saw in the 2016 Ghostbusters. You know, the anyone know what Zool is? Yeah, everyone put a bullet in your head for that line. All right, so we got um, Ghostbusters in two weeks. Uh, so it'll be Eternals again next week, uh, this Friday. And then next week is Ghostbusters. That'll be the number one movie. But unfortunately, Ghostbusters is not going to have a big run because it's going to have to then compete with Encanto, House of Gucci, and Resident Evil. Um, everyone gets a break December 3rd. There's nothing coming out that weekend because Nightmare so Alley what, uh, so, so what are we betting on between Encanto, House of Gucci, and Resident Evil? What do you mean what are we betting on? Which one like, takes are the we betting on which is- Oh, the number one movie, it'll be Encanto. It's Thanksgiving weekend, and it's a, it's a Disney movie. Yeah, family movie. I, without a qu- okay. without question. I mean, that's kind of the new thing now is to have your Thanksgiving dinner and then go to the movies to see the latest family film. Right. I, look, I, I I think the House of Gucci movie by Ridley Scott's going to be good, and I think you have go way too you have way misplaced faith in Ridley Scott in twenty twenty one. I want to see House of Gucci. Yeah, that's on I the do. Li- that's on our triple feature for January, along with uh, Spencer and the Eyes of Tammy Faye. Um, in any case, I think, look, it's not going to win the weekend. It's one of those, again, it's a prestige picture. It's not one that's going to draw a huge crowd, but it'll it'll be out there for the adults who don't want to go see a Disney movie and don't like horror movies. And that is kind of your audience split. Your general audience that's going to make thing number one is going to go see Encanto. Your horror fans who don't have children to go see Resident Evil and your snooty you know, film people are all going to go see House of Gucci, at which point no one will be seeing Ghostbusters, and that'll be the end of that. Um, even no, fewer no, people seeing the Eternals by that, and nobody will be seeing you. Yeah, 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 even I'm just pulling out of the theater by that. Yeah. Um, anyway, Paul, so- Paul Rudd will buy out one theater in good faith because he's a Marvel guy for the Eternals, and then he will buy two out for the Ghostbusters. Because West Side Story coming out December 10th. That'll be your number one movie of that weekend. That's and a then, fairly bold prediction on your part. I I believe it to be true. Um, again, the competition nothing- with it with West Side Story is the Kurt Warner. Um, Kurt Warner story, yeah. Um, which, yeah, I'm sorry. I agree with Mark. I think West Side Story is going to do better than that one. Does. Yeah, and, and Spielberg. And then Spider-Man's going to, speaking of Moab, Spider-Man's going to drop a bomb on the, the- uh, on theater. Everyone on Earth will be going to see Spider-Man. You want to talk about bold predictions. I think if one movie is going to somehow make it to a billion dollars this year, it'll be that one. Um, Agreed. I, I, I actually do agree with that. Yeah, that, that's not going to be a Moab. That's going to be a nuke. And hey, credit on Eternals for showing the Gimbaku Dome at Hiroshima. That um, building's still there. A movie we'll be reviewing, but nobody will be seeing, will be Nightmare yeah, but, Alley. Yeah, yeah but uh, look, that scene with him in the aftermath of the atomic bomb, one does raise a big question about how close they were to it. <laughs> yeah, it's like, man, you're here pretty close. And well, then finally, I, just, I just assumed Eternals were safe from radiation. Well, still, the heat of that explosion would have caused massive problems. Like, th- that was that was a weird choice. So here's here's a interesting question for you. Also so you needed have, bodies. So you have Spider-Man coming out this December 17th, which we all just agreed was going to do gangbusters. Even if it ends up not being great, people will go see it. Everyone oh, yeah. goes to see Spider-Man. Oh, the problem is, is, I mean, not I even if week, I wasn't reviewing it, but I'll be Not even a week later, uh, you've got Kingsman, Sing 2, and The Matrix. And the, each one of those has, you know, a plus and a minus to it. You know, Kingsman is rated R, so no family. Sing is rated G or PG, so all the families. And The Matrix is on HBO Max. How do you think 
my question to you, Robert, and then uh, Alexis and David for a yes, no, maybe so. Do you think any one of those upsets Spider-Man in its second week as the number one movie, or does Spider-Man go two and three weeks at the number one spot? What say you, Robert? And then we'll end this conversation. I think of those three, Sing probably has the best chance. Mm-hmm. Family because movie. Of, because, of the general, because of the general audience thing. And you know, people liked the first Sing. Mm-hmm. We have no idea why. I pop music and either. cute animals. <laughs> we have, what do you mean we have no idea why? Children, pop music, and cute animals. Have you seen the latest posters for Sing 2? They actually have the actors who play the roles, and they have them casting shadows of their characters. It's like, I know that banking on celebrity voices in an animated movie is nothing new, but that takes it to a whole new level of WTF. It so, might be the most cynically produced series of movies ever, <laughs> But my kids it works. love the shit out of the first thing. Like of the last couple of Illumination movies that have been big hits, The Secret Life of Pets, Minion slash Despicable Me, Sing. I think the one that they liked the most actually was was Sing, and it was because of, of the course. music. Yeah, well, I just like I, like what's what what is the plot of Sing? It's like, well, have you ever seen a movie about musicians? It's all of them. <laughs> we have to save the theater, don't you understand? And, and, and my dad doesn't approve of my singing career, and I want to escape from my life as a so, housewife and get a singing career. So and I want an- to make the money. So your answer is you think Sing wins, wins that weekend and knocks Spider-Man out the number one? No, no, no. I said I think of those three, Sing has the best shot. Mm-hmm. If Matrix were exclusively in theaters, right? I actually might lean towards the Matrix. Mm-hmm. Um though I'd be banking pretty heavily on nostalgia for that because I think the movie looks like ass. Yeah, let me tell you something. I have zero interest in seeing another Matrix movie for a variety of reasons <laughs> I will not get into now. But I will tell you, this is one of the weird movies, and I, and I know I've like been really negative on the whole trailer react culture. This is one of those where if that, someone had asked me, what did you think of the mailer of the trailer for Matrix Resurrections? It's I love it. I love their use of White Rabbit, and I get excited for the movie just watching that trailer. It's one of the few... It's one of the few examples of a trailer legitimately getting me excited for a movie until I remember it's The Matrix, and I'm like, no, fuck this shit. David? Uh, Okay, yeah, I I agree. Sing being a family movie has the biggest chance of giving Spider-Man a run for its money. Again, there's a lot of overlap between the two. Mm -hmm. But yeah, Sing would skew younger, so you could even take the little little kids to the theater and have a break from small children for (laughs) two hours or whatever. I forget, I forget what option three was. The Matrix. Well, Kingsman won't, but I. But yeah, Kingsman. Not, I mean, Kingsman. Yeah, that weekend. Yeah, Kingsman has like a fan base, mm-hmm. like allegedly. But, but yeah, I don't think it would be enough to really, you know, seat the power of family films, right. and it would be R-rated as well. I don't even think it cracked the top five in its opening weekend. Yeah, I... because, because of Spider-Man, Nightmare Alley, Sing, and Matrix. It might crack number. It might be number five, but I mm-hmm. don't think it'll. I don't think it would hit. Yeah, anymore. it might do okay, but yeah, I don't see it as being like a big hit at that time. Like you say, between right. Sing Two and Spider Man, I think those yeah. will gobble it the most. Right. And yeah, Matrix, I would say, is probably going to come in last of those because yeah, one, it's available on streaming, so may as well stream it. And I'm not really sure how many people care that much about the Matrix now. Like, there's still yeah. a lot of a lot of Bad will over the two don't know why just got greenlit. Alexis, your final yeah. thoughts on whether or not Spider-Man can three-peat or gets defeated in its uh, second weekend. I have no doubt it's going to three-peat. Sing- Alexis, stop! <laughs> you were saying, madam? 
When are you going to remember to unplug that stupid thing? I'm about ready to throw a brick through it. Please continue. <laughs> I say Spider-Man 3 Pete's. Uh, I honestly do not think Sing 2 is going to do well enough to come close to that. I am intrigued by Kingsman. I actually do want to see it. I saw the previous two in theaters. I've got the first one on DVD. I love it. Matrix definitely want to see but again when you have it on streaming service at the same time i think that is going to be an issue i but also it should be noted that early reviews for the matrix movie have not yet said whether or not this is a film that can be saved if you go see it in imax when dune was first uh, released out everyone said yeah it's available on streaming but do yourself a favor go see it in theaters Looks yeah, they were right on theater. I... yes they were right i actually think dune had a good second week because a lot of people who might have seen it on streaming went huh i want to see this in theaters now and then right. went to go see it see yep. my i saw it in theaters into which i said now i need to go home watch it on hbo max with subtitles so i know what the hell they're saying <laughs> but unless we get early reviews for matrix um resurrections that say the same thing that say oh go see this on the th big screen visually you have to see it on imax unless we get that i don't see it raking in that much. Yeah, I feel like the Matrix Resurrections is going to be a lot of people going, I can't wait to watch this at home. And with that said, here we are with the critical review. Are you ready? No! I said, are you ready? No! No, God, please, no, 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 no. The critical review on Rotten Tomatoes was brought to you by Grammarly. Grammarly is AI powered. It helps people uh, communicate more effectively. Grammarly helps you make mistake free on Gmail, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and nearly anywhere else you write on the web. Grammarly corrects hundreds of grammar, punctuation, and spelling mistakes while also catching contextual errors, improving your vocabulary, and suggesting style improvements. To download Grammarly today, go to getgrammarly.com slash W2M network. Again, that's getgrammarly.com slash W2M network to download Grammarly for free. All righty. I usually look forward to this. Oh, not. Don't you, don't you not, just. I, I think we can cut this one short. <laughs> you know, I, I, I'm willing to talk to you. Here's the thing, and this is the, the kind of conversation I got into with Alexis. Um, I can listen to any number of general audience for amateurs such as us say, I, you know, I like this, didn't like that, whatever, you know, and, and it's fine. I don't invalidate, you know, David, uh, sorry, Alexis or Robert's opinion because they disagreed with me. We're here to have a fun conversation among friends and we like what we like and we know a degree about film enough to speak about it re relatively intelligently. But let's remember that we are we are amateurs at this we are fans having a fun conversation we and are so not we, featured on the vaunted in the vaunted halls of we're Rock not paid for this we are not paid for, this, this this is what i was saying in the chat and i'll repeat it here and because and, because i need to i need to get this out you you are paid critic being a critic is a particular talent and there's a particular way of doing it that is the reason you're paid for it as a professional there is a difference between Neckbeard on YouTube saying Eternals is woke and I hate it, and that being a valid, if not stupid, way of looking at a film. But that also, but that person is also doing that as a hobby and is just giving their opinion. That's Depends not on how big they are on YouTube. That can be that a very is not valid career. professional criticism. 
I'm bored is not valid professional criticism. This isn't fun for me. This isn't fun like the previous Marvel movies isn't valid professional criticism. There's the difference. You want to say, I'm bored. This isn't fun. I wish this had been Ragnarok. Okay, but you better be saying that as your personal opinion in a forum where you're not being paid to do it. Does that make sense, Robert? Okay. <laughs> I think that was just being used as an example, as in this this movie is very much not Ragnarok. Also, it was a, a, liked by a oh, lot of people. That's why he, I used it as an example. He did yeah. that on purpose. Validate yeah. what I just said so we can move this on. Now, look, it's one thing to say I was bored by this movie. I mean, I think some of us were. Sure. I was going to say, I think Robert and I both did say we were bored by this <laughs> <Many times>. movie. <laughs> the difference is, if you're going to be a professional critic, you should at least be able to articulate why you were bored and how that and how the movie failed in that particular respect. Again, which I'd like to think I did, because the repetitive, uninteresting nature of that of right. that script. You did. I got with, we, everyone yeah. got it. And you, you were able to do that. My problem with what we're going to dig into now, uh, just a little bit, because as David said, no one wants to do this forever, um, is that a lot of these people just let it, you know, just kind of put it out there in the world. I was bored. This isn't fun. And thought that was valid enough to leave it at that. And I'm like, nope, you have now failed miserably at your job. Yeah, 100%. 46% from the uh, paid critics, 80% from the unpaid rank amateur general movie going Still, for the Hang on, for the record, for the record. That 80% is still the lowest MCU score. Critic consensus, an ambitious superhero epic that soars as often as it strains. Eternals takes the MCU in intriguing and occasionally confounding new directions. I kind of agree with that, actually. Um, the audience says it's a different kind of Marvel movie, but Eternals still contains all the action, humor, and heart the fans are looking for. Where did you find that? Where did you find where in the world did you find heart in this movie? Where did you find humor? I mean, I understand Kingo okay. had a couple of good lines in there. Yeah, there was a couple of good I I think I mentioned this on the the bleeding edge and that there were some moments that yeah, I chuckled. There was a couple of cute. It's like <laughs> that's kind of funny. But there was no moment where I actually was like holding my sides laughing. Most of the humor was on display in the trailer. Hey, Ian Simmons of Kicking the Seat says, Robert Winfrey and Alexis Haina, fuck you. The long and I'm short sure he does. <laughs> the long and short of it is that, yes, we have no bananas. And Eternals is a colossal bore. For those lacking patience, heart, and imagination. <laughs> it must be nice not to have any smell when you fart. <laughs> You're not kidding. Robert, you want to flip this guy off or should I? Go for it. I already got Mark. <laughs> It's like, look, I, I liked the movie, and I thought it was you, somewhat you wanna... smart relatively, but I wouldn't say that if you didn't like this movie, it's because you're some sort of impatient moron. If you, sir, want to have a discussion about the necessity of patience in film watching, watch Too Old to Die Young and get back to me if you don't <laughs> off yourself. <laughs> Dick. Uh... <laughs> For the record, well, I've never said that if you like if you like this movie, you're an idiot. I can understand why some people like this movie. I just didn't get into it. I'm sorry. I, yeah, I wasn't. Well, I wasn't trying to imply that was my to, opinion. To in, be clear, in I've never had a problem with you not liking it. You know, it, 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 it's it's my 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 problems come in when the 
someone tries to pass off subjective criticism as objective, and that's where I start pulling with left of my hair out. I tend to think most people enjoy this because of Marvel Stockholm Syndrome. <laughs> you ain't getting there. Kent Garrison of there Matt, right, right Variety, right? Say, it's coming across, sorry, it's coming across worse than the people who are saying, how dare you not like My, my Little Pony, A New Generation, when you liked My Little Pony, Friendship is Magic. They're the two Stockholm different shows. Is real. Yeah. Must be nice not yeah. to have any problems We've done in all your life. one of these. Kent Garrison, mad about movie podcasts, Robert. He's simply mad about them. Don't you understand? Yeah, sure. Chloe Zhao deals with real-world themes. <laughs> 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 like a giant space monster erupting from the core of the uh, planet. I mean, like or, or I had one try to come out of my garden just last week. It was terrible. Like, they had to shut down the road. I was late for work. I mean... I, 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 I can't tell you how by... lovely it was to watch heroes dealing with the same kinds of issues that I deal with on a daily basis. I mean, yeah, like, I just, just last week, my dad called me to tell me I was really an immortal alien robot that had my mind wiped every 5,000 years. Yeah, I was going to say, did this show up at a Dear Abby column? My, I, my husband and I haven't spoken to each other in literally 1,500 years. <laughs> We've been calling Robert a space alien robot for years now, but that's hardly the issue here. Um, Chloe Zhao deals with real world themes that resonate now and will only resonate more as the MCU continues to evolve. You, sir, could not see daylight from how far your head is up the MCU's head. I, 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 say, I certainly he... do not get Seriously, can someone inform me what real world issues he's talking about? Because I have no idea he's what he's not being paid by marvel studios to write ad copy i don't know who is he's just de he's desperately auditioning for that job i was yeah. gonna say so sorry, did we just find our first tick bird review of the night <laughs> we might have uh eric kane of forbes i really enjoyed eternals despite it being too long and one of the reasons was the humor another was just that it felt kind of quirky and different from most of the marvel movies these days how was this qu hold on I wouldn't call He's it quirky. How He's did you get to quirky in this? Yeah, I'll uh, give. Uh, I will give you different. And if your if your argument is it being a different enough Marvel movie was enough to carry it for your personal enjoyment, Godspeed and party on, man. I don't know where you get quirky. All right, or or, fun, or funny. This is a fun one, Aaron. This is actually rotten, but I'm going to mix these up and just just to read the ones that amuse me. Aaron Dicer of Sift Pop. I read this. This is funny. Yeah. Marvel is the peanut butter of movies. Zhao is the filet mignon of directors. And I just wasn't fully enjoying my peanut butter steak. Stretch that you metaphor know? any further, buddy, and it might turn into taffy. That's just not a bad metaphor. I just I thought sure it applies to this that. movie. It's, no, no. Like, I'm, gonna, I'm probably going to try and repurpose that at some point, but... <laughs> I think that's actually one of the best reviews so far. Yeah, I think he gets a stay of execution, Nike. That was actually that was actually yeah. some decent I, effort I, put I in. I honestly read that because it amused the hell out of me. <laughs> oh, read, go, go ahead, Mark. This has been a common sentiment. Read old Edwin there. Yep, Edwin Arnaudin of Asheville Movies. The MCU's first DCEU film. God. Not inaccurate. No. This has more in common with the theatrical Justice League movie than anything that Marvel did. Ouch! Well, of course it does. Chloe's guys, Chloe Zhao repeatedly said she was inspired by Man of Steel. She wanted to follow Zack Snyder's footprints. Candace, pity, pity they didn't find a decent actor and a compelling way to write Superman. <laughs> so Candace McMillan, McMillian, Seattle Refined. Oh, it's yeah, Refined, because, yeah, Robert. Yeah, like because I think. 
<laughs> when I think of high, when I think of being refined, I definitely think of Seattle. Oh, with its waves of waves of heroin. Director Chloe Zhao is in the mouth of the Marvel beast with this one. Oh, God. it can devour even the most able-eyed filmmaker, which is exactly what Eternal does. Yes, you... much like much like the story that broke today about her directing a Star Wars movie. Chloe Zhao taken prisoner by uh, by the, by Michael Chapek over at Disney and forced against her will to shoot movies for the mouse. Let, Someone let... save her. Poor ha- Chloe Zhao getting that... paid money to do her job. Have they forgotten that Zhao actually came to Marvel and this started this work long before No Man Lad won its awards? Can we also just say good directors make bad movies all the time? She's not infallible, you morons. (laughs) You want look, look at you could not tell I don't think you if you went back to nineteen seventy seven and had to tell the film going audience that the creator of the Godfather would crash and burn so spectacularly once we got to the 80s. No one would have believed you. Like, there's no way Francis Ford Coppola is capable of this spectacular failures. I've got reality for you. It happens. Pretty sure even Spielberg has made a few films that we're all going, yeah, let's forget you ever touched that, shall we? The BFG. Um, we, uh, look, oh, I was going got... with Munich. Munich could have been worse. Look, Look, don't make me say it. Because I will if I have to. Say it. Indiana Jones 4. Oh, I thought you were going to go with the one with the ministry soundtrack. Oh, God. AI, that, that was it. Um, John, AI, or- AI was just Spielberg doing a bad Kubrick impression. Terrific. There, okay, guys, with all respect, do not touch AI. That is a can of worms that we do not have time to discuss. I'm trying tonight. not to, kid. Um, John, <laughs> yeah, moving on. Thanks for, the, thanks for the input. Out. Once again, quote Star Wars. John Urban Sitch of JM Movies, spelled with a U. Woo-hoo-hoo. Like the U tray. Uh, even acclaimed filmmaker Chloe Zhao, who collected Best Picture and Dre- Director Oscars for last year's Nomadland, that we because, reviewed. Because an, import, because an important part of your review of this movie is her resume. Can't save her first venture into the MC universe from being laughable too often in all the wrong places. Okay, disagree. Also, we really should have saved the Grammarly ad for his. Uh... <laughs> is his website title. Uh, Andy Klein of Film Week doesn't like his job and would prefer to do something else. I wish somebody would give a map to exit the Marvel Universe at some point. I feel like I was lost in a made-up world I did not particularly care about. Okay, like, hang on, hang on, hang on. Well, I, uh, well, I agree with your sentiments, sir, <laughs> and I don't like some of the direct, some of what has become of the film industry in no small part because of the MCU and its success. If your gripe is about the state of filmmaking, gripe about the state of filmmaking in a state of filmmaking blog post, not in a review of this movie, because that that assumes facts well not in evidence. Well, one... Actually, I hate to say it, this guy does bring up an interesting point, though. This film does feel like it's the least connected from other from the MCU as a whole. It has the least amount of Marvel Easter eggs. It has the least amount of ties back to other Marvel movies. Do you guys think this film would have been better, worse, or somewhere in the middle if they had tried harder in the script or in the directing? I don't know where this would work better, but somewhere to try to tie it back into the MCU a little bit more. Uh, I don't think so. I think like visually, like it's obviously like we've seen Celestials before, like in Guardians of the Galaxy, we saw one. So, and just the way the Eternals are set up, I think it kind of works at this point to be 
their own thing. I, I, I'm sure from now on, if they use them more, we'll start to see them interact more with the broader MCU. Like I would assume that the whole, you know, celestial judgment thing will be of interest to like the Avengers or whatever new Avengers they come up with. Right. Two, yeah, two but or three uh, more, two or three more of these, then we'll be done. Mark Komodo yeah. of Komodo and Mayo's film review, top critic. And I, if I could just do my, you know, my moment of whining on this podcast about uh, just 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 before you do that, I just say like the map to exit the Marvel Cinematic Universe is don't go and see the movies. Well, again, professional critic. I mean, well, that's his problem. Welcome to the job of a professional critic. Yes, you <laughs> don't have to do this job if you don't want it. Mark Komodo of Komodo and Mayo's film critic, top critic, and I don't know, I, I don't know what. Uh, justice there is in this world with this guy's a top critic on here and we don't even get to be on rotten tomatoes but here we go i certainly can't get emotionally invested anymore it's just a series of special effects interspersed with a bit of humor how why what who's paying you for this again chloe Zhao worked her ass off to make sure that there was as little cgi as possible yeah, I, I think of all the mo big Marvel movies that you're going to complain about an abundance of CGI. This wouldn't. This isn't the one to die on. Th this isn't the one to hang that argument on. Black Guardians Widow, of, yes. Spider Man, Guardians of, Guardians of the Galaxy, Black Panther. Yeah, like the upcoming Spider Man movie is going to be almost entirely digital. Like, absolutely of the pitch. Unfortunately, the film's strict adherence. The film's strict adherence. The film's strict adherence to the Marvel formula. Keeps the whole enterprise from really working. You don't understand the Marvel formula. Didn't you wrote that months ago. Didn't we already <laughs> discuss how this film tries its hardest not to follow the Marvel formula? I mean, it yeah, does it, in places, but yeah, it, it, it does deviate more than most. That's mostly because there's a handful of places where the Marvel formula overlaps with just the three-act structure of storytelling. Yeah. So you know how I like to relate Robert to a variety of critics? You know, this one's his you granddad. You and it this, annoys this me. His, this one, his, I, yes. And this one's his wife. I feel like I need to share the love. And I, want, and I want to preface this so that you don't misunderstand what it is I'm doing here. I am poking at your nipples the way that I poke at Robert's nipples. Here we go. Uh, Alexis Haina's boyfriend, Doug Walker of Channel Awesome. Ooh, you take that back. <laughs> Mark poke, doesn't poke. hang on. Mark doesn't know any better. Just let it go. <laughs> oh, if, if I, I wasn't made a referring... keychain once for Brad Jones, and now <laughs> all of a sudden, I wasn't referring to anything specific. I just know that you once said you liked him, and now I won't let that go. Um, yes, I watched Nostalgia Critic. <laughs> Didn't we all at one time? So did I. Like an X Men movie, if all the characters were Cyclops. Fuck you, Doug Walker. Fuck you. This hang explains on. why I don't watch the Nostalgia Critic anymore. <laughs> One, yes. Two, if all he's talking about is the cinematic Cyclops, who is himself a cardboard cutout because the writers didn't understand the character, Never you're happened. not wrong. Uh, I don't agree with that assessment, first of all. We just went over saying how only a handful of characters were cardboard cutouts. The rest of them had personalities. I Look, I didn't touch that argument out of respect for your requested timeline, not because I agreed with you. Fair enough. Um James Vernier of Boston Herald. Chloe Zhao has succumbed to corporate filmmaking anonymity. Oh, bite me. <laughs> you write for the Boston Herald and have the temerity to stand there and argue that this director is sold out. You flaming hypocrite. Go play in traffic. There's right, always at least one jackass who believes that when you agree to work for Disney, you have no soul. Kurt Loder, sure. formerly of MTV, Robert. Kurt Loder, formerly of MTV, Robert. Kurt Loder, formerly of MTV, Robert. How is he still Robert. alive? 
<laughs> now, now also because, writing for Reason Magazine, but in this case, Creator Syndicate. Because he's not. Because we've never met. Too, <laughs> too many C Team superheroes. Thanks Chris Bailey, is that you? <laughs> <laughs> in, hang on. In fairness to the point he is making, he's not wrong. Marvel is going to have this problem with a just total glut of characters teaming up that no one really cares about or has heard of, and they're trying to sell us, and this is what's going to erode their goodwill with the fan base. I finally found one that when I I was doing a lot of this prep Friday night when I got home, Thursday night when I got home from the movie, that's that's where I saw the first crop of reviews that were like, I didn't have fun, and I was wanting to throw my phone across the room. So here's one of those, and then we can stop this. Tom Santilli of Movie Show Plus Eternals is the least fun I've ever had in an MCU film. Look, I appreciate your blog post, but that's not criticism. <laughs> actually, I'm reading the one above there. With, yeah, the one where you got the mouse, Ruth uh, Marimus. I just read hers. That actually, I think, is a good review right there. And Well, okay. at least that's one I agree with the most. Oh, no. What? Do, do it, Mark. He's right there. Just scroll back up and do it. Oh, <laughs> Robert Winfrey's granddad, Joe Morgenstein of the Wall Street Journal. Top critic. Director Chloe Zhao does more than well enough, even though the story stretched out of 157 minutes. It's rambling and repetitive. See? How is that a tomato? (laughs) I think that's a poor pullout from that review. But, look, anything... First of all, we all mentioned this. The runtime for this is atrocious. Yeah. Hey, really the last one here. Um, Luis Martinez of El Mundo from Spain. The saddest superhero movie. Apparently, you never saw The Watchmen. There's so many superhero movies this idiot didn't see. Yeah. Clearly. All right, folks. Look, Catwoman is... drove people to suicide. <laughs> Cat, I, I defended that. And I'll you, be re-airing it this February for Black History Month. You did, and I appreciate your commitment to the format of that show. <laughs> but there is no justification for that film. She dribbles a basketball nicely. Hey, you leave uh, uh, Best Actress winning actor Halle Berry alone. Hey, you, you, you want to try have, that again, Mark? Nope. You want you want to have a fun you want to have a fun bit of reality slapped in your face, Mark? Not really, but go ahead. Halle Berry's washed up. <laughs> like, well, we can talk more about that when Moonfall comes out next year. You mean no, no, no? You mean we can talk about that in a couple of weeks when we talk about Bruised? Oh, that's true. All right, folks, that washed is washed up. Our review of Eternal, such as it was. Hey, we managed to get this in under two in under two hours, and to really drive that home, we were only half the runtime of this movie. Check out the Rattle Broadcasting Network on w2mnet.com. That's our website. We're on all your available podcatchers: i uh, iTunes, Apple Music, whatever it's called these days, Spotify, and everywhere everywhere else you can uh, find us. We live stream on Twitch. We have a YouTube. It's all w2mnet.com uh, in all of those places. Like, subscribe. And you'll get notified whenever we have a new show. We drop several a day between my stuff, uh, Sean Garmer's soccer and video games podcast. Plus, we've had a guy doing the world. What's it? League of Legends stuff for the past. Yeah, couple the League of, weeks. of uh, the yeah, this this year's League of Legends Worlds tournament just concluded with an upset win by Edward Gaming over Damwon Kia. Bit of a surprise. I thought. I thought Showmaker was going to get back to back, but so Brian Alvarez has been documenting all of that for us. Uh, plus, we've got football, boxing. Uh, we just did Canelo versus Plant. We'll be Robert Winfrey will be doing a solo podcast of Demetrius Andre versus Daniel Quigley. Why do you and lie to the people, Mark? There it is. <laughs> so anyway, so check us out, Alexis Hanna. Uh, I hear you make. I'm uh, still not you, convinced Demetrius Andre is a real person. I hear you paint houses and make jewelry. 
No, right. I, I hire people to paint my house. Thank you very much. I hear you paint houses as a euphemism for uh, uh, for hired killing. Mark, no one saw the Irishman, and those who those who did are now stuck in the time loop you and I managed to avoid. I blank. I saw the Irishman, and I've already blanked most of it from my memory. But but what do you sell, madam? Yes, honeysuckle rose creations. Where fashion meets fandom at the intersection of geek and chic. We make handmade jewelry upcycled out of game pieces. We are getting ready for Black Friday. Everything in both of our Etsy and handmade at Amazon stores is going to be twenty percent off. And this is also kicking off our annual holiday charity drive. Uh, we do this every year, starting from Black Friday to Christmas Eve. Every order that is placed in our store. For every order, we will donate $5 to St. Jude. We do this every year. Always love, you know, helping out St. Jude. So if you're interested, go ahead and take a look at our stuff again on Etsy and Handmade at Amazon. Uh, we are putting out a, a disclaimer right now, unfortunately, that while we will be making and shipping everything on time as uh, directed in our store, uh, we are seeing some delays in the actual shipping that from situations that is completely out of our control. We are looking at staffing issues due to the COVID pandemic and such through the post office and likewise. So if you are at all concerned, go ahead and place your orders early. So this will not be an issue. We don't want to have to have someone worried about whether or not they're going to get the items on time for a gift for the holidays. As always, you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. That's Honeysuckle Rose Creations, the intersection of geek and chic. Do you have um, two or three more players for your Disney trivia that you'll be that will be airing on the Rattle Legend Broadcasting Network on November twenty eighth? Recording on the twentieth. Yes, we're airing on the twenty eighth. Yeah. Do you have more players? Uh, I need to double check with Jesse about that. We He's been kind of busy. I've been kind of busy. We haven't gone back to it. And I realized that we're dividing up the questions. We will be covering Disney parks, Disney movies, and Disney TV shows. But I realized that I'm doing the second round. He's doing the first round. I'm like, you know, maybe we should actually collaborate and make sure we're not asking the same questions. <laughs> Five Good questions idea. about Snow White. Um <laughs> All right. Yeah. So uh, as she mentioned, we're going to record. My wife is going to play on that show and they're looking for more contestants, I assume. And that records on November 20th if anyone's interested in Disney trivia. Ah, I could probably swing it. There you go. You want to play with my wife? Phrasing, Mark. <laughs> I've warned him about this several times. Why start now? All right. Speaking of playing, go ahead, Robert. What are you playing at these days? Uh, no, sorry, please don't I, answer me literally, you fucking I'm, robot. I'm not going to. <laughs> Look, I was just scrolling through my Facebook feed, and one of my favorite Simpsons non-sequiturs just showed up, and I'm trying not to bust out laughing. I would have just said your wife, but okay. <laughs> you would have, but that's you. The door was opened. No, it's behind Mark, and it's still Oh, my God! <laughs> No, just want, I just wanted that he reaction. He writes Mania. Check out his horrible wrestling, did, <laughs> hang wrestling on. and halfway decent MMA coverage. Hey. <laughs> Mark, where's the get on with it clip? I, I'm getting there. Look, I'm partially offended by that. <laughs> My wrestling coverage is not horrible, and you know it. Okay, I'm sorry. A thousand pardons. It's not great, but it's oh, not horrible. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> Do it. So, Loki. Wrong one. Do it again. God damn it. I'm going to make you do it again. I'm looking for it. Where did they put this goddamn thing? 
There it is. Yes, get over there. Now that you finally found the right clip, we can in fact get on with it. As Mark mentioned, I write for 411mania.com. Three times a week, I cover professional wrestling against my will. AEW's Dark Elevation on Monday, MLW Fusion on Wednesday, and WWE SmackDown on Fridays. So if you're interested in my thoughts on that, please come by. Say hello. I appreciate it. I cover mixed martial arts action on Saturdays. This week, Max Holloway fights Yair Rodriguez. Not a great supporting cast, but that should be a halfway decent fight. I think it's the last fight on Max's deal, so... That raises some interesting questions. All right. Um, uh, oh, I also host the 411 Ground and Pound MMA podcast if you're interested in mixed martial arts. Give that a listen. This last week, I review UFC 268, which was a banger card start to finish. Nothing but hits. Well, there was a crappy heavyweight fight, but it featured a fat man hitting a wheel kick to knock out his opponent. So I'll take it. Hey, this Sunday, uh, this Saturday, rather, uh, David's final retro Star Trek retrospective will be airing, and we're uh, lining that up with the debut of Star Trek Discovery Season 4. So check out myself and Robert screaming about the Beastie Boys for two hours, and Dave, Beastie for, Boys 10 minutes, and Dave for 10 minutes wanting to talk about the Kelvin movies. That's about, assume, that was about the ratio? I assume, uh, you, quite, I, but... I assume there was a lot of cutting of us yelling about the Beastie Boys. <laughs> not as much as you would think, but I, I made it work. But yeah, right. that's coming out soon. I think I'm on Cowboy Bebop. Uh, yeah, might be the next thing I'm on here. And yeah, Eternals, for all you people out there complaining that Marvel movies are just big, dumb action movies. Well, it is big. Good news, it's not dumb. Bad news, it's also not an action movie. And with not that, wrong. be well, be safe, and behave. <laughs>